Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn in the Office of Mission, Ministry, and Interfaith Dialogue at St. Francis College, beautiful Brooklyn, New York. My great pleasure to be back with you again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as you utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and the resulting outcome. And one of the goals of our show, thank God for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time in the workplace when diversity, equity, inclusion have never been more important. As such, we are honored today to have with us a very, very special guest. Her name is Celeste R. Warren. Celeste is a recognized leader in diversity, equity, and inclusion. She has many years of experience in driving change within organizations to enable a more diverse and inclusive work environment. She's also the author of a great book, How to Be a Diversity and Inclusion Ambassador, Everyone's Role in Helping All Feel Accepted, Engaged, and Valued. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Celeste. Well, thank you, Greg, for the invitation. It's such a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Uh, the honor is all ours. Kindly share with the listeners from what city and state you're speaking from today, please. I am speaking from Schwanksville, Pennsylvania, which is about 35, 40 miles outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Some of you may be familiar with the uh, King of Prussia Mall. I'm about 20 minutes from there. <laughs> you just made the listeners and I very, very jealous. That's one of the great shopping areas of the country, that's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Celeste, sorry to say we've only got about 30 minutes today. We could speak for hours talking about you, your incredible life experience, this wonderful book. We're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool, if that's okay with you. Wonderful. Share with us right off, please, Celeste, what are the benefits of embracing diversity and inclusion? Well, first of all, the very important benefit is when you embrace diversity and inclusion, you're embracing people. All of us, we're not robots. We're not cookies cut in the same from a cookie cutter. We're all individual beings who identify differently, each and every single one of us. And we um, encompass dimensions of diversity, those that you can see and those that you can't see. So, for example, those that you can see, whether that be gender or race, ethnicity, et cetera, and those you can't see, um, whether someone is of the LGBTQ plus community or their faith. Sometimes you, you can't tell what faith someone was in just by looking at them and, and et cetera. So 
we have to be able to embrace in people because when when we especially in an organization because the organization and i tell this to our leaders all the time our organizations are not successful because of laptops spreadsheets pencils papers rooms that's not why we're successful those enable it but we're successful because of the people within the organization and the people are very very diverse and so in order for there to be um, for an organization to not just survive but thrive you have to be able to embrace diversity the diversity the differences that exist in the people and then you also have to make sure that you are um, not just embracing the diversity, but you're creating an environment of inclusion, of equity, of belonging, of empowerment around the employees, around the people, so that they can be successful and they can truly be their authentic selves in, in however they identify when they come into the workplace. Oh, that is so, so important, as you say. Now, you've got a tremendous history, Celeste, of implementing DEI measures. But we'd be curious, what are some of the biggest challenges you've seen in terms of implementing these measures, please? Well, I th think the biggest challenges that I've seen through my career start with just the essence of diversity, equity, inclusion. And when we're trying to um, really bring people along, because what you're talking about is sometimes in some ways challenging beliefs and ideas and ideals that they have held close since they were children. You know, they sat around the table, they listened to mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and Uncle Charlie and Aunt Harriet talk about various different things. And so it's sort of ingrained, even as a child, it's ingrained in you because you hear it at family gatherings or in different, you know, uh, gatherings of, of people in your community. And so when we bring folks together who are different and identify differently, organizations are just microcosms of the vast diversity that exists in the world and the different values and beliefs and that, that people have in the world that converges upon the workplace. And so when we talk to employees and we're talking to them about embracing diversity and inclusion and we're meeting them where they are and understanding well what are some of your biases that exist that you have when it comes to people who identify differently than you do and so helping them to understand it and get in touch with it and yes everybody everybody greg has biases um, there's not one person in this world who doesn't have a bias. The yeah. thing is, it, it's, it's, that it's part of our neuro design. And so the important thing is getting in touch with it, understanding what, it, what your biases are, what encompasses them, where they're coming from, and then making sure that those biases don't enter into decisions around people that you have to make in the workplace. And not just managers and leaders, but all of us as individual employees, decisions that we have to make around project teams and who we wanna work with and how we wanna work with team members, it, it's all tied together. And so, you know, getting in touch with your biases, it, it, it became, it, it becomes kind of challenging and you have to tread lightly and not saying that, you know, that, that what you learned is evil or wrong or it calling someone a racist or a sexist or a homophobe or something like that 
but just getting in touch with the biases that exist and then having conversations around them, real life dialogue, conversations around them, so you can cr truly create that inclusive environment. That's the difficult thing, because at first, you are gonna be having uncomfortable conversations. That's just the nature of the beast. That's just the journey that you go on when you're talking about diversity and inclusion. And so making sure you take the time to have those conversations, those difficult, courageous conversations is what we call them, and then you can get to the other side of having a truly inclusive environment where you welcome the conversations, you welcome learning about different cultures and learning about different identities. Um, and you become not just learning about them, but you become allies where you actively act as allies to not just one, not just some, but to all those that identify differently than you do. Oh, that is so wonderful. No question about it. And time permitting, we're going to peel the onion regarding biases in a little bit. But I do have a couple of questions for you before that. Our listeners love to hear about personal experiences. Do you have any personal experiences you might be able to share about the importance of DEI in the workplace, please, Celeste? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I always tell this story. My father, growing up, was the first Black teacher and black principal in Western Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. And, and, and so I had a front row seat in um, the journey that he took, along with my mother who was there to support him and um, around diversity inclusion. So he graduated master's degree in education. He went undergraduate to University of Pittsburgh. And um, when he was hired at this school district, they hired him as a, a gym teacher, a phys, phys ed teacher. And um, even though he was an education major, he was an English you know, major. Oh. And, yeah. And so they hired him as a gym teacher and they didn't have a gymnasium. And so when he taught uh, the students, he had to teach them out in the parking lot. Oh, gee. Yeah. And so as he was teaching them, and you can imagine this was a primarily uh, white school, as he was teaching them, this, the parents of the students would come and park their car in the parking lot and watch this black man teaching their white students and their white children. Yes, yes. Now this, you can imagine, this is back in the 60s, right? Oh, oh wow. Yeah, and so, um, so he, he, when he was telling me the story, I was, um, um, you know, adult, I was in college. And I remember just being just exactly the way you express yourself. Like, I can't believe it. Oh, my God. You know, Daddy, what did you do? And, yeah. and didn't that make you angry? And my dad was someone, if you think about the character of a Jackie Robinson being the first and how mm -hmm. you have to carry yourself and the tremendous pressure of being the first and making sure that you are exemplary in what you do and how you approach things and and having that discipline um, within yourself. And my dad was somewhat like that. And, and so he told me, he said, well, he goes, I just did my job. I didn't get angry. <clears throat> I just did my job. And wow. um, I taught the students. And you know what happened? And I said, what? He said, one by one, each as each day passed and each week passed those cars disappeared oh. and, I, and, and i was able to to teach the students unencumbered oh, that's and so, awesome. you know and so when i think about diversity and inclusion 
bringing that forward in my career, I keep going. I keep doing the job that I need to do, regardless of how I am um, uh, attacked or how I am challenged or how I how people might come after me. I do the job that I'm supposed to do because it's important, not just for me, but for the thousands of people who haven't felt the power yet or felt empowered to be able to elevate their own voices. And so I believe that I have to do that for them, not just for me. Oh, what a beautiful lesson from your great father, that's for sure. Now, I'm not up on current events as well as I should. I'll be the first to admit it, Celeste. But if I understand correctly, there's a potential overturning of affirmative action. Will this impact DEI in the workplace in the future if this happens? What do you think on this, please? Well, I, I definitely think it will, especially for those organizations that are not as far along in their diversity, equity, and inclusion journey as they need to be. Um, you want to get to a place within an organization that is it is ingrained in the culture. It's ingrained in the the people, the culture, how you do your business, the impact of how you write, for example, marketing strategies to get to your diverse customers um, and also the obligation to the world, not just your philanthropic responsibilities, but also, you know, the, your responsibilities to make sure that you're creating a better world. And so if, if it is fully ingrained into the organization and it's part of essentially how you do business and it's part of the people in the organization, then I think that um, what is what is coming down the pike and the decisions that be, will, may be made in with the universities and, and colleges and the educational institutions around affirmative action, um, it'll have some impact, I'm sure, you know, because I'm, you know, it'll the next thing is they'll look into the organizations as well and look at they already are looking at our hiring practices and because it's oh. it, it's against the law to um make a hiring decision for example solely based on the race or the gender or the ethnicity of a person sure. and so you know those those laws were put into effect the civil rights laws back in the 60s and they were meant to, in an attempt to create um, an, uh, uh, an affirmative action for organizations to be doing affirmative, proactive action to make sure that they're not, their biases don't, in, don't, um, don't cause problems for people of color and people who are different and underrepresented in the workforce to be able to get jobs. And so when you fast forward to 2022, the way people look at it now is, okay, well, we know what the intent was with the laws that were put in place back in the 60s, but the laws still say you can't make a decision solely based on race and ethnicity, gender, et cetera. Um, and so um, if you fast forward now to 2022 and the same law applies, you can't make a decision based solely on race or ethnicity or gender, et cetera. And so, there have been um, um, inquiries into organizations when they say, oh, you know, we want to increase women in the workforce by such and such percent. And so there have been, you know, some uh, groups that have questioned and said, okay, well, wait a minute, are you making a decision based on race? And that's not what's happening. We are hiring people <clears throat> based on their skills and their capabilities and ability to do the role. 
and, and trying to make sure that you aren't thinking that someone who is in an underrepresented group, in a minority group, that they their skills and capabilities aren't up to par with someone who's in the majority, who's someone who's who's white, for example. Oh. Sometimes we we there is a there's a, a bias that if you're not white, if you're in, you know race, ethnicity, gender, whatever it may be, and how you identify, that your skills and your capabilities and your competencies are inferior. Oh. And so, yeah, and so. Um, we have to make sure that first erase that bias. So when you go into the hiring practice, for example, you're hiring not because of someone's race, gender, et cetera, how they look or how they identify, but you're hiring the best person for the role. And the best person for the role could look anyway, could look or identify in a numerous ways. But if you don't have that bias of, okay, well, you know, I just need to make sure that I'm hiring the best qualified person. An example, Greg, is, and this is what I always challenge hiring managers. We, you know, the the uh, the recruiters will say, we want to make sure that we have a diverse candidate slate, that we're bringing you diverse candidates for sure. your role. And sometimes a hiring manager might say, okay, but I want, you know, I want qualified candidates. I'm going to pick the best candidate for the job. And when I hear a hiring manager say that, I'll stop them and I'll say, well, why did you feel a need to say that after the recruiter said, we're going to make sure that you have a diverse candidate slate? And when yeah. they, when, when just to get them, not to attack them, but just to get them, that's a learning moment in that moment. Yeah. And, and they say, well, I just want to make sure that I get a qualified candidate. And I said, but you said that after she said that they were going to bring you a diverse candidate mm. slate. If they had not said that, you wouldn't have felt the need to say that they're qualified. So we get down and we peel the onion back to say what you were saying is that when she said she was going to bring you diverse candidates, that you just made an assumption that they were not going to be qualified. Oh, That's why wow. you said it. And so let's talk about and attack your bias. So we make sure that you're making a decision based on the skills and capabilities of the people that of the candidates across the different dimensions of diversity that are put forward in front of you. And so that's basically kind of kind of how we we address it. But I do believe that, yes, um, what's happening with the educational institutions um, around affirmative action, that um, they're going to be looking at organizations as well. And, and in some cases already have started some some um, some groups have already started. Wow. Now, I think this is a great time to peel the onion on biases because, as you said, all of us have biases. How can someone become more aware or even aware of their own unconscious biases? Please, Celeste. Well, the first thing is you have to <clears> – <throat> now, there's there's lots of training that's out there around biases. You can Google different things. You can take online uh, different different um, um, tests and, and, and assessments and et cetera. And, and it's really exciting because I, I like learning about myself. And so, you know, it, it's always fun for me. And, and also it helps me to grow as an individual and as a leader. But sure. the first thing you have to do is um, I, I recommend, you know, just going online and taking some assessments. There's the, the Cook Ross assessment is one of the things that we we've used internally, but there are numerous ones. Um, but um, that's one thing. And, and what it does is it helps you to understand the biases 
that you have within yourself. Um, and biases are things that are, it's, it's just as, as, as um, natural as fight or flight, right? It's just oh. your normal your normal reactions to things that you see. And I know um, when I, one of the first uh, unconscious bias education courses that I took, um, it was in person and the workshop leader showed just pictures of individuals, no names or anything, just pictures of individuals. And um, I remember this very, very cl clearly. They showed a picture of an individual, it was a, a, a bald guy, big burly guy sitting on a bicycle <laughs> a motorcycle it had cats on him and everything and um and and she said you know what's your reaction to this person your initial action you know he had to write it down and so and then they they just show different pictures and um i remember that one specifically because and this was oh my goodness this was a long time ago and um i remember that one specifically because my reaction was based on something that my mother would tell me whenever I was getting ready to go back to college, back to school. I went to the undergraduate at the University of Kentucky. And so oh. I would, my, after my sophomore year, she gave me, a, they gave me a, the, the second car to drive down seven hours to Kentucky hmm. school by myself. Oh, wow. And so um, my mother told me, look, when you're, if you have to stop by a rest stop, um on your way if you see a bunch of motorcycles don't stop in there because those are motorcycle <laughs> gangs yeah <laughs> he told me that and it's like I, i'm you know decades later i still remember that and so when i saw this individual i immediately went to you know my mother telling me that and it was fear fear and okay i'm not going near that person and that person was the mayor of a uh, a a, sit, a town in in central Pennsylvania, and guess oh who it was? Oh my goodness! Was John Fetterman. Oh yes. my! God. <laughs> when he was a mayor of of, of Braddock, and oh. so, um, but it just this guy was a mayor. He was just himself, right? But my fear was based on you know something that was told me, and again, like I said, our biases are things that that are either learned or what we grew up with or, or whatever but the first thing you have to do is just get in touch with it and understand your biases and where they came from and and then making sure that once you understand it and you're you're aware of it then you make sure that it doesn't cause bias actions in the workplace and decisions that you're making and another example some of the things that we do and organizations do is, for example, blinding out resumes. And, and so basically taking out, taking away the names and any other identifiers that would identify the person as being a certain gender or a certain race or et cetera. Oh, and wow. having managers go and look through the resumes and, um, and pick people to interview. And when we found that we've done that, and this is external research, and we've also done it within our organization as well, we found that this, the, you increase the diversity of the hiring because the biases are eliminated and you're truly looking at the candidates based on their experiences and the skills and the capabilities that they bring to the table. So they were able to bring people in to interview and the slate was extremely, extremely diverse. And so it, it, I think there's examples, even the arts as well, where they were, um, they found that people when they were interviewing or um, were, uh, interviewing for the Philharmonic um, and they they 
men were being hired more than women. And oh, so they blinded okay. the auditions. And so they put a screen up, a, a curtain, so the people who were picking them could not see what gender or what race or whatever they were. They just heard the music. They just heard the audition. And they picked people based on that. And it became much more diverse. So, you know, it's just inherent in all of us. And you just have to make sure that that, that bias that you have is not causing you to make decisions about people that is going to unduly uh, impact uh, negatively one particular group of people or, or another. That is absolutely amazing. Sadly, Celeste, time is getting short. We've only got about five minutes, but I got a couple of important questions to ask mm -hmm. you. We really love to share with us, please, uh, one of your most inspiring DEI success stories. I know you've had a number of them, certainly, but is there one you could pick out and share with us this morning, please? I think for me, it's um, it, it is hearing about an individual who's not a people manager, not a leader, and hearing about how they have been able to impact change within their respective department or organization. It's those success stories that really make me proud. And and just as an example. In our organization, we have employee resource groups. We have 10 of them and they, you know, we have a women's network. We have a, a, a league of employees of African descent and et cetera. And there are 10 of them based on different communities of, of employees. Oh, wow. And they, the thing that I'm most proud of is they have taken those employees. And when I first got in this job eight years ago, we had a few uh, employee resource group chapters in the United States primarily and, and a few in you know Puerto Rico, Latin America, and maybe one or two in Europe. To now we've grown to over close to 300 chapters, 275 to 280 chapters, and primarily not in the United States, but outside of the United States, Asia Pacific, Latin America, oh, Eastern wow. Europe, and Europe, and Canada. And just um, that to me just makes it so makes me so proud because they have these employees have taken their voice they felt empowered to be able to create all of these chapters create networks for employees and then also impact our culture and also our business because they've been able to share um, what's getting in the way of patients who look like them of them being able to experience health outcomes that they need to be what are some of those social determinants of health that are getting in the way and they've been able to bring not just their functional skills and capabilities but also their cultural experiences to oh, the table as we wow. develop marketing strategies to try to bridge the gap between our company and and the uh, patients we serve so that to me is a wonderful story Oh, it certainly is. And um, I'm not sure if I mentioned, but I had a 30 year career in pharmaceuticals before becoming a Franciscan brother of Brooklyn. And I'm a recovering CPA. Oh, excellent. Just yes. The way you describe it, I could sense there's a bottom line positive impact mm -hmm. when you implement diversity, equity, inclusion in the organization. So Absolutely. This is a win, win, win all the way around. Celeste, I've saved the most important question for last. From where can our loyal listeners purchase how to be a diversity and inclusion ambassador? How can they best follow you and learn more about you, please? Well, you can go to Amazon.com and you can purchase the book easy enough. Just uh, when you go to Amazon, just uh, put in the search 
how to be a diversity inclusion ambassador or put in my name, Celeste Warren, the book will come up and you can buy it um, audio version, Kindle version or uh, hard copy. And uh, that's the one thing. And then also, please, um, my website is CRW, Celeste Renee Warren, CRWDiversity.com. That's CRWDiversity.com. Please go on the website and, and stay in touch. And um, we love to hear from people and how the book has impacted them. And then you can find me on um, Twitter, which is CRWDiversity and uh, on LinkedIn as well under my name, Celeste Warren. So thank you, Greg, for this opportunity. And, and I'd love to hear from all of your listeners. Uh, the honor has been all ours this morning. Listeners, please, please, no excuse. This book is available all over the place. It is December. It's holiday time. Celeste is a great Franciscan. She didn't hold on to the good. She shared the good via this book. Now it's our turn. Buy one for yourself, buy one or more for your colleagues, friends, uh, relatives, etc. Give this book out because in 2023 and beyond, we need to have a workplace where diversity, equity, inclusion is just abounding. We need justice. We need equity. We need equality in the workplace. We need better workplaces in 2023. This book will go a long way to getting us there. So please share the good by one for you or one for someone else this holiday season. Celeste R. Warren, we can't thank you enough for gracing us today with your presence on Thank God for Money. We've been enlightened, yes. We've been much more inspired, really, to take what you're promulgating and move it forward in 2023 and beyond. So we wish you great success, continued success, joy, happiness, and all this fabulous work you're doing for the workplace and the world. Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much for letting me be here. And thank you. And have a wonderful holiday season. Thanks. You as well, certainly. Listeners, guess what? Once again, we're out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you get up on Monday morning, just like Celeste R. Warren does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. Until next week and the episode of next week. Have a great week, everyone. God bless. Bye-bye.